Hey guys, as you know, we are studying the um, fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, have been since the middle of August, and we will probably turn into the new year, still in uh, John chapter 5. Um, I, I, I tried to tell you that we weren't going to study it like going verse by verse, and I and demonstrated that last week. So um, what I want to do tonight is I want to show you a little something that has also snuck into John chapter 5, which you probably wouldn't have, um, wouldn't have guessed would be at this point in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. But it's here, and it has to do with eschatology. Um, it is certainly not one of the major themes in John 5, but it is a theme that God's people seem to be interested in. And, and I, um, sometimes I regret that, that is that there's so much interest in eschatology. Now, if you don't know what the word eschatology is, it comes from a Greek word eschatos, which means last things, and eschatology is the study of last things. Um, th there is a lot that is uh, included in, the, in, in eschatology, but about the only part that I think you've ever been exposed to has to do with the uh, millennium, which really drives me crazy. Um, uh, I do want to, I mean, I, I will tell you this, if you're interested in uh, that subject and you want to read some, this book is quite good. Um, it's uh, Millennium, The Four Views. I, maybe you know this, but there are four views of the millennium. Um... And any of, or three of the four, you may feel very comfortable in, in um, um, promoting. There's only one that you shouldn't, and that's the one that you've been taught all your life. Um, dispensational premillennialism. Now, uh, gang, um, most of you have been to series uh, in your churches in the past, and maybe even a prophecy conference. I regret, I, I'm sorry about that. Um, I, I'm, it, because it is, it is such a, um, oh, I don't want to overstate it, but it's just not, uh, um, it's not something over which we must dogmatize. So there are three views, a pre-mill, a mill, and a post-mill that would be perfectly fine, a historic pre-mill. But an historic pre-mill is vastly different from a dispensational pre-mill. <laughs> and we're not going to spend our time on that here tonight, um, what I want to show you is this little piece of eschatology that got snuck into John 5. It's in um, verses 28 and 29. Let me read you uh, this. Uh, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So that's the little piece of eschatology that's found in John 5. And I said it's unusual to find it here because, I mean, he's so early on in his ministry. But there in this, this otherwise a, a didactic passage, he mentions, <clears throat> he mentions this second coming of his. Um, that we all believe in, I, at least I think you do, uh, I certainly do. But now, <laughs> gang, 
In the Bible, there are numerous kinds of literature. For instance, there's poetry. The whole book of Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, there's poetry. There is what's called um, a historical narrative. Um, there is parables. Parables are very difficult to interpret. <clears throat> Pardon me. And then there is literature that's called apocalyptic literature, like the book of Revelation. Um, it's far more difficult to interpret Revelation than you think. And so to jump in there in a piece of apocalyptic literature and start dogmatizing is just really unfortunate, methinks. But my point in telling you this is twofold. Number one, the easiest type of literature in the New Testament to interpret, or in the Old Testament, is historical narrative. And that's what this is. This is historical narrative. Therefore, it has a certain clarity to it that you wouldn't find in some passages that we all rush to, you know, to talk about the seven horns and the seven marks and the whatever. Um, and the other thing that I would draw you to is that Jesus is speaking it. So my, I, I'm just trying to tell you that as it relates to his coming again, this is a pretty clear statement, and it's Jesus that's making it. Now, notice what it says. Pretty simple. Um, there's an hour coming. When all are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, right off the bat, um, there's a couple of things that you need to take note of. All of this hot embotherment that you have uh, perhaps participated in over the rapture. Do you see anything in there about that? Now, ladies and gentlemen, do we believe, does the evangelical world believe in the rapture? Sure we do. It's the one that's described in 1 Thessalonians 4. But there is no secret arrival of Jesus to rapture out the church for a thousand years or for 10,000 years. Gang, did, were, <laughs> in your youth, were, were you ever taught the song, I wish they'd all been ready, two people walking down the street and one gets taken? You know, did, did you ever get that song? You, you, you remember you, you didn't give that song. Oh, you got robbed, <laughs> folks. That's a song that is about the secret coming of Jesus, who's going to rapture this group out uh, prior to the closing up of the shop, folks. There's no such thing. That would require three visits of Jesus. We know of one, we believe in a second, but there is no third one. There is no private secret one. Now, is there a rapture? Sure, it's really, it's being alluded to here, um, and it takes place at the same hour that is coming. Okay? 
um, <clears throat> it's an hour coming when all are in the tombs. Now, who's that? Well, that's dead people. Everybody in the tombs. And they're all going to experience something that can be described as a resurrection. Um, the subjects of both, no, the, both of these subjects in these resurrections are dead. They're in graves. Both of them, gang, the non-Christian world, they don't like to talk about resurrection because they, they say scientifically that's impossible. They do love to speak about immortality. There is all within them this desire to think, okay, after I'm dead, there's got to be something else. That's been around for millennia. Um, so, there is immorality. Or immortal, did I say immorality? I meant immortality. Did I say immorality? Oh, it's stuck in the brain, isn't it? Uh, okay, immortality. They, they, they don't want to talk about resurrections, but they do want to talk about immortality. You know, they want to talk about immorality too, but, um, but here we're being told that um, there are two sets of people. They both will be raised, and they both will be the objects or the subjects of a divine power that raises them. Um, now, notice this, folks. This is rather compelling. Uh, come out, and those who have done good in the resurrection like to those who have done evil in the resurrection. Folks, um, <clears throat> the people who come out of those graves will have the same character with which they died. Their character follows them into eternity. That means that deeds done now have eternal importance. Now, exactly what importance? It's not an importance on which one's salvation is based. There's nothing, there's nothing earned by those deeds. But they do um, serve as a um, demonstration. They serve uh, as a demonstration of one's genuineness. So a life lived, uh, the, the word is evil, is the life that you will have associated with you upon this resurrection. Um, <clears throat> now, gang, uh, I hate to do this, so I don't, don't even turn there with me, but um, there's, there's a whole lot in the New Testament about this subject, but... Um, I just I felt like one could be helpful. This is in um, 2 Corinthians 5. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, if I have been in one conversation, I've been in 20, about the great white throne, the Bema. Folks, it's spoken of as with this mystical gang. It's the same thing that you're reading in John 5. It's in different language by Paul. But the language by Jesus is, says there's coming a day, and when that day arrives, everybody in the graves will rise. And we're given, uh, they will appear before Christ. And that character, one way or the other, will demonstrate the genuineness of who you are or the absence of any kind of redemptive value. Um, now, I'm going to throw this in here. We can talk about it another time. I did a series on this years ago. Well, okay, Dr. Young, I, I hear what you're saying. Yes, um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's no, um, you know, my, my good deeds are not a basis of my salvation. Yeah, I got that. But they are the basis for my reward. <clears throat> no. No, ladies and gentlemen. There's a reward, all right. But it doesn't have to have to do with a bigger mansion or, or more privileges. The reward that I get is the reward you get. We all get the same reward. It's called heaven. Yeah. And all of its little subsets, those are glorious. But the reward is heaven. And that is not based on your merit nor your deeds. Gang, that whole rewards idea, I wish you'd give it up. Because what it promotes is kind of a performance mentality. Oh yeah, I know I'm saved by grace, but you know, I gotta, I gotta really perform well so that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll outshine you in heaven. <laughs> Folks, that's hideous. Uh, what do you want to do? Uh, just introduce a little bit of envy into glory? Ooh, well, look at where Big Jim lives over there, but you know, not him over there. You know, Richard Feltus, I mean, he's he way down there. <laughs> Everybody knows that, Richard. <laughs> Gang, it, don't do that. Yes, there's a day coming, resurrection will occur, and a division will take place. And the thing that will determine or, or will be used as a demonstration will be the kind of life that was lived by me. All the while, understanding that my standing before God is based on the finished work of Christ on my behalf. But having embraced that, if I have embraced it, will make me into a different person. So different that the demonstration on this day will be, 
Well, those things obviously came from a regenerate heart. And that kind of lifestyle came from a non-regenerate heart. And then uh, the one piece of dissimilarity between the two resurrections is that one is received into life and the other passes on into judgment. One is received, the other is judged. Now gang, so whatever eschatology you want to hold on to, here's the first thing that should be right in the, the things that we know. Other things we're, we're not completely clear about. But one thing we know, there is a general resurrection. I mean, across the board. One time when Jesus returns. Now, you're wondering, well, I mean, is that before the thousand years or after the thousand years? Folks, don't, don't, don't trouble yourself with that right now. I mean, you can. There's a book right here. You can knock yourself out. Um, but right now, we have a piece of historical narrative that has come from the mouth of Jesus that he has told us something that's going to happen in that day. That's what we know. The book of Revelation, there is one, there's no more Christological book in the Bible than the book of Revelation. I mean, it is Christologically beautiful, but it's apocalyptic literature, and it gets sketchy when we try to associate and define it narrowly. Just be careful. But this right here, you don't have to be careful about. It's Jesus speaking in historical narrative. It's pretty clear. Do you see it? Now, guys, um, I don't know whether I should introduce you. Yeah, uh, let me do this now. Um, at this point, there are no second chances. Now, I would like for you to turn to this passage if you if you can. In Luke 16, it's a parable. And Jesus, it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, this is about the rich guy in verse 19 who's clothed in purple and fine linen and you know feasted sumptuously every day, but on his front porch, there was this poor guy who is covered with sores, and the dogs came and licked his sores, and the poor man died and carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, that carried to Abraham's side. Um, many of you, at least some of your translations, will have that differently. It will call it Abraham's bosom. Now, so this dead man is carried to Abraham's bosom. What is that? Gang, oh, this gets more complicated. You and I are comprised, we are dichotomous beings. You ever heard that word? 
dichotomous beings. That means we have a body and we have a soul slash spirit, whatever word you're most comfortable with. So we're dichotomous. Okay? Now, at death, the thing that makes Jimmy Young, Jimmy Young, goes into the presence of the Lord, which is called here Abraham's bosom, which is a um, non-corporeal, that is, nobody, no body, and I live in the present until this day. I, I introduce this here, ladies and gentlemen, so that I can come back to John 5 and say, Verses 28 and 29 are describing the time when that spirit of Jimmy Young and the rest of you comes with the Lord Jesus to be united with their bodies that have just been called from the graves. But folks, if you'll notice on in that parable... Um, The rich man says, could you just send somebody from up there to touch my tongue? I'm burning. And this is some of the scariest words in all the Bible. It's in verse 26. And, um, you know, but Abraham said, no, we can't do that. And then verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. Which means there's, no, there's not a second chance at that point. A great chasm fixed. There's no going from here to there or there to here. Gang, uh, about, I bet it's been 10 years ago now, a pastor in Michigan, I think, his name was Rob Bell, he wrote a book that made him a fortune. Uh, it was called Love Wins. And what he said was, he didn't deny... Um, he didn't deny a judgment, but what he denied is the eternality of that judgment. And said that ultimately, love wins. And that everybody that has been um, assigned to judgment, it'll all end one, at one point and everybody will be merged. <clears throat> That's not possible. Um... There is not one vestige of hope that is held out for those who are defined as having been resurrected to a life of judgment. Not one scintilla of a statement anywhere in this book about saying, okay, it's all right, it'll only last for 40 billion years. There's not one, there's not one hint of that. Um... What you're seeing in John 5 is not a resurrection of probation. It is a resurrection of eternality. All that you see described in John chapter 5 is forever. Um, now, one other thing, and I'm going to come back to that as I close, and I'll 
close in a couple of minutes. But um, one of the things that I hope that you will see in a very clear statement on the part of Jesus Christ in John chapter 5 and verses 28 and 29 is, do you see any mention of anything resembling purgatory? If, ladies and gentlemen, I am a huge opponent. You know I am. But things like that have to be opposed. To think that Jesus Christ died in my place to purge me from my sin, but when I die, I've got to go to another place to have a little bit more purged away. That place is called purgatory because it's purging. Come on, folks. The, the, the idea of purgatory is a frontal assault on the finished work of Jesus Christ on behalf of his people. Jesus didn't do his job very well, ladies and gentlemen, if there's a purgatory. So I'm supposed to sit idly by and say, oh, well, you know, we all differ just a little bit. Yeah, we do. But some of those differences, folks, make a difference. And to say that Jesus Christ saved me, but there's still a little bit left in me, that there's some place called purgatory that I can pay to get out of. Actually, I can't, but you could pay for me. Do you see what that says to the gospel of free grace? It is diabolical. It's not just a whole, oh, 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 oh. no, ladies and gentlemen. And do you see any hint of it in this passage in John 5? Jesus says, I come, people are resurrected, and they get separated. They appear before my judgment seat, they get separated, and their eternities are fixed. There it is. But ladies and gentlemen, knowing of this eternal fixation of my destiny, I hope you'll take that seriously. If you're here tonight without a Savior, and you think that the only life there is, is this one, then Jesus is some kind of absolute charlatan. Because he's saying something clearly different. And so, to toy with this eternality of my destiny, You've been rendered insane by the evil one, I guess. Because, folks, these words are nothing to toy with. But they do answer a lot of our questions concerning what awaits us. I hope it'll be helpful. Let's quit. Our Father, uh, we're grateful for your word. We love it. We love to study it and read it and learn from it and conform our lives to it. So would you, by the power of the Holy Ghost... Enable us to hear this, um, learn from it, and then know that our character is something, the one that we take to the grave is the one that we'll come out of the grave with. Would you light a fire under us in terms of developing our character in a way that conforms to the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.